Welcome to episode six of the Selby is Godcast. TJ Zuppi, Zach Meisel, and we are at Progressive Field where, Zach, we've just learned, well, we think the roster for the American League Division Series always subject to change, but after days upon weeks, seemingly months of us trying to get to the bottom of the roster, it all just came out like uh, an avalanche that I almost feel like I got smothered by. But Zach, finally we have some answers as far as the roster goes. To me, it kind of was like the Family Guy scene where they, what do they take, an epitaph? And they're all (laughs) vomiting um, endlessly and... That means I win! (laughs) (laughs) Lois brings in chowder at the end there. Uh, Yeah, that was, that's an overload of information and there's, you know, this isn't, this isn't simple. Like last year it was tricky because they had limited options and this year they had too many options and so, so many moving parts and I, I don't know, I think there are many surprises, there are many things that make you scratch your head, many things that make you question maybe what the Indians were thinking but there, this is one thing that it proves is that this is one deep roster and I think we've kind of learned that over the course of the last six weeks as the Indians have really turned things up a notch anyway. Well I mean let's pick it apart piece by piece. The biggest thing that everyone will talk about and leading up till Thursday is really, Eric Gonzalez. Fine man you had to just let the cat out of the bag before we even revealed what this big thing that we were going to discuss was. It, of course, is the rotation order. And it'll be something that will be discussed, not just through Thursday, but really through the end of the series, because depending on what happens, this could blow up in their face, or it could make them look like geniuses. And the big decision today is something that we hinted at at The Athletic over the past few days, is their decision to go with Trevor Bauer in Game 1, Corey Kluber in Game 2, and then Carrasco Game 3, have Tomlin sort of slated to go for but you could also use him earlier you could change your mind based on what happens if you're down in the series they could bring back Bauer on short rest something they have no anxiety doing and then have Kluber lined up for game five it's something that and I've always said this about any decision making if I can see your logic behind it it might not be something that I would have done but I can at least appreciate your decision making in getting there and this is this sort of feels like that because I can understand where they're coming from that they want to protect themselves, gives them many options. If they want to go with three starters, they have that that alternative. And if there's one guy they feel most comfortable about doing that, it is Bauer. So all of this makes sense in some way, shape, or form. But again, I don't know if I would have gone about things a different way. It's really tough, Zach, to not use your ace, the guy that is probably the front runner for the American League Cy Young Award this year, Corey Kluber in game one. How do you not do that? How do you have the the ability to not throw him in game one? Yeah, like this this setup would have been on the list of options, but I don't think it would have been the one I would have selected. And, and I, I'm with you. I, I, I get all of it. I understand it. But it seems strange that a team that is always so focused on winning the day at hand almost seems to be implying that they expect a series to go four or five. Uh, like, it's weird. I mean, Kluber could have pitched in game one and still come back on game five with plenty of rest. And I don't know why. The reasoning for him going second is a little peculiar. And I think I understand Carrasco game three, I guess. They won't flat out say it, but he's been better on the road and Bauer's been better at home. Should that matter? No. I mean, it, it, to me, I would have gone Kluber one. Carrasco two, 
Bauer three. And step on the throat early. Yeah, and and then you have choices to make. If you're down two to one, bring back Kluber on short rest. And then if you win that game, you go to game five and you have Carrasco on full rest. So you have your second, your two best pitchers pitching four of the five games. Now you're not allowing yourself to do that with the scenario they've chosen. So I, I, it seems like it's overthinking. It seems like they're getting a little cute. And it's a little surprising because this, this organization always seems to be one step ahead of everybody. And maybe they are. Maybe they'll sweep and then they'll have Kluber ready for game one and we'll all look like idiots and we'll say, wow. Uh, but, you know, at this point, I'm, I'm a little surprised. I, I just feel like it's so – and I know it's not like this is something that they sat down and said, hey, let's do this, this, and this. What do you guys want to go eat? And this is something that they've talked about for weeks, whether or not they could do this, whether they could line it up properly, and they had the benefit in the final two weeks to sort of line things up the way they wanted to. Coincidentally, they just continued winning while they were setting things up and almost treating things like spring training. To not have Kluber go game one, again, I understand what they're trying to do. And I, and I think there's there's some element of it that can make sense. But you also are never guaranteed a game five. So this series, you could have a situation where you only pitch Kluber once. Um, because there is no guarantee that you come around back again for a game five. While I appreciate that they're thinking outside the box, and I... I love that about this organization, that they're willing to not just do what the, the manager manual says you should do. And in a lot of regards, this almost indicates that they don't care what other people think about their decision making, which is good. You should never manage the team and make decisions based on what's easiest to defend. You yeah, but make Twitter it, knows best. <laughs> you should make these decisions based on what you think gives you the best chance to win. Now, we can disagree for hours and talk about why we do or do not think those are the right decisions. I appreciate that the organization does not care what is easiest to defend. They're going to go with what is, is best to win. I just I don't know if that is this scenario. I don't, I don't know if pitching, waiting and holding Kluber back and then pitching him in game five, if necessary, is the best decision. The only thing that I can say is that if a lot of other teams were considering a similar situation where they used their third best starter in game one and their first starter in game two and then they were playing around with the rotation you 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 would really look at that and go wow I I I don't see where you're coming from with this team while we can talk about whether or not Bauer or Carrasco or Kluber is the right guy on a specific day those are all really good pitchers like you have some really good options here some alternatives it's not like you're th by saying we're throwing our third or fourth best starter out there your third or fourth best starter is still better than a lot of teams second or first best starter sure and and as we get a soundtrack here you know you're going to face a team that has to burn its ace in the wild card game and we're recording this before tuesday night's twins yankees matchup but um you know so this is like luis severino wouldn't be available to go thursday Anyway, you wouldn't be able to go Friday. So you're probably setting yourself up in a way that if you can get ahead in the series 1-0, then you got Kluber going against another team's non-ace, and then you have Carrasco going. You're, you're in good shape. It's just, it seems weird for this team to not necessarily want to step on the throat, like you said. And it's, I don't know. It's, I guess because teams have done it, the same way for so long we're just kind of accustomed to okay Kluber goes first then Carrasco then Bauer then you figure it out um this is weird and and it's going to be you know the game that's going to be the most interesting is that what is it Monday 
wherever it is, game four. If there's a game four, if the Indians are down two to one, is that the impetus to then start Bauer on short rest? Is that more of a reason to go with Tomlin on plenty of rest? How quickly do, do they turn to the bullpen in these situations? The other thing is, you could have the quickest hook for Bauer in game one because you go to your bullpen, which is going to be well-rested, and then you have Kluber the next day. And even if you need some bullpen behind Kluber, you've got an off day after that. So it makes sense why they go with an 11-man pitching staff. And it, it's, I just see the wheels turning as you get closer and closer to thinking, eh, okay, maybe this isn't as no, crazy. No, I still disagree. I think you, you go with the... I mean, you could you pitch Kluber on Thursday and he... Like, aren't you guaranteed to go up one nothing? It'd be like <laughs> it seems that way, especially so, when you don't face the other team's ace. But I, I guess the best way I can say it is, while I I would not do what they're doing, well, I would line it up a different way if I was sitting in the manager's seat. I also don't think this is level ten crazy. Yeah. Does that make sense? Uh, well, like it's, it's three. not. It's not. While it's not what I would have done, I also don't think this is so egregious that. I don't. This isn't a fireable offense. This isn't something no. that that you look at and you go, I just can't understand what they're doing. I don't. I don't come at it that way. I can appreciate their thought process on how they're getting here. I just, again, really, really strongly would always, whenever possible, want to put my best pitcher in a position to pitch when I know he's guaranteed. Yeah, to pitch I, I wouldn't right off. The I wouldn't want to go into Yankee Stadium with a must-win game. Like that's scary. Even if no matter who you like. I don't know. I, like, if, if you have Josh Tomlin on the mound and you have to win in Yankee Stadium or Trevor Bauer on short rest, that's far from ideal. Yeah. I mean, well, in any situation, too, when you're down 2-1, you're going to have to pull out some stops. You're going to have to do some things differently. But this one, this is one that I think will be discussed for at least through – and if it's a sweep, if the Indians win, it will be probably forgotten and we won't even talk about it. And you get to the ALCS where there's that greater chance that you're using your four starters and, and all of that. But this is something that, well, again, I can appreciate. I don't know that – I don't know if I would have the the balls. Is that the way, right way to say it? Yeah, you the, don't have the balls to do it. I don't, I don't, have, I don't know that I could stand up there and, and have enough conviction in what I was doing to, to make that decision. Clearly, that's not an issue here. And as again, they prepare to play whoever wins the wild card game tonight. That's the biggest, the biggest point of contention for the next several days. But there were some other things within this roster that were were a little bit interesting. One of them is something we've talked about a, a number of times on this podcast: how they're going to handle third base. We learned that it's not going to be Yandy Diaz starting at third. It's going to be Gio and Eric Gonzalez backing him up. And what that allows them to do is. A guy like Michael Brantley, who is now making the roster, they could be a little bit more aggressive with guys like Brantley, or if it's Chisinau on the bench or Jackson on the bench, they can go to those pinch hitters in maybe situations they consider to be higher leverage because you've got Gonzalez and then you've got the opportunity to bring Kipnis into the infield and move Ramirez over to third if need be. They've created some flexibility that way. Yeah, I like what they've done with the uh, the position players' side. I, I do wonder why... You couldn't start Yandi and pinch hit for him and then go to Urshela. Uh, but I guess they're placing a premium on defense since they're going with like their third or fourth best starting pitcher in game one. But um, I, 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 a lot of people are upset that Brantley made it. And really? For the, yeah, in my mentions, you know, 
slide into my mentions sometime. It's a scary place. I know you get notifications for every single one of them that comes in, (laughs) so you didn't miss any of them. (laughs) You know, the guy has been hitting. I don't think it's an issue that he can hit. He came up for his first at-bat in 53 days and had a 10-pitch single. Um, So I don't worry about that. I think the role is perfect. Last year, they carried three catchers. One of them was Chris Jimenez. So, you know, it's... There's plenty of space to be able to carry a luxury. I think that's what Brantley is in this instance. And they hinted, you know, they moved on to the ALCS. It's not out of the realm of possibility that he could start in left field. Right. By the time they get there, then that could be an option. I know, Of course, because they set up their rotation the way they did, they'll never find out. <laughs> oh, wow. But, I and based on your mentions, and I've seen this a few times, that people are saying having having a pinch hitter on your bench isn't the best use for that because you're only maybe you only use that guy four times in the series, three times in the series, one pinch hit at bat. I'll disagree there because as we saw with Jason Giambi, not all pinch hitting appearances are created equal. If you use certain guys in certain situations, it could be the biggest at-bat of the game. You might get to a point in the sixth inning with two guys on base, let's say second and third, two outs, the bottom of your lineup's coming up. It's Giovanni Urshela. That could be the, it's a one-run yeah. game. That could be the biggest at-bat of the game. And in that situation, because the roster the way that it is, you could go to Michael Brantley. You could go to Lonnie Chisenhall or Austin Jackson. You have those opportunities where, yeah, it's one plate appearance, but it could be the biggest plate appearance in the game. And that's where I like having that option where since you're carrying one fewer pitcher, you've created a spot on your bench to sort of use that as a high leverage weapon. Yeah, I, I really I like the way they set up this roster. I just The, the rotation order confuses me a little bit. Um, and don't forget, he even, Tito mentioned they aren't afraid to shift Jason Kipnis to second base and put mm-hmm. Jose Ramirez back at third, put Greg Allen or Austin Jackson in center if they needed to pinch hit a second time for that third baseman. So the same thing goes for their catchers too. Yeah, they they can they're going to start Perez in game one with Bauer, and then we don't know about game two and beyond. But you can be aggressive with either one of those guys. Yeah, I mean they they you know the eight nine spots in the order aren't the greatest, whether it's Perez and Urshela, Gomes and Gonzalez. Um, but they've set themselves up so that if there is ever a, like you said, if there's ever a high leverage moment, those guys aren't going to have to be the ones at the plate. You're not going to have Michael Martinez batting with two outs in the bottom of the 10th in Game 7 of the World Series. Well, we haven't got there yet, so you don't know if that's... No, should Martinez be on the roster? That, that's <laughs> I was just going to ask you what your biggest two shock and six, was. 2-1-6, 5 seven, eight. No, I... Yeah, that poor guy. He's officially been supplanted by Eric Gonzalez. Officially, yeah. Officially on the roster, Michael Martinez, who was not in consideration. Despite how much Zach asked about him down the stretch, is not on the roster. As far as... Shout out to Abel Monte. I forgot to include him on my roster. I tweeted out, and I had like 10 people ask, what about El Monte? Like he was going to make the roster or something. Well, he is still around the team. He's one of the few guys that is hanging around. He was around last year, too. Wasn't he kicked out? Because I thought he wasn't even allowed in the He watched the games from the stands. So he was sort of around, but yeah. not officially around. And then some of those guys will be around this year. They're sending Francisco Mejia out to the Arizona Fall League to prepare there, but he's 
the the emergency third string catcher if they need to if somebody gets hurt and they need to bring another catcher here he would be the next guy some some of the players will be hanging around we learned that Goody Otero and McAllister will not be on the team but they will all be in that sort of taxi squad if they they need to make a change next round or if there's an injury they'll be hanging around so we have some of that was there anything that that really surprised other, other than the rotation order was there anything that surprised you about the way they put this together I think keeping Yanni Diaz off was surprising just because when he's been healthy he's been playing starting most days at third base um, but he hasn't been healthy down the stretch and no. you don't know but they how always much... downplayed it it was just like a jammed finger and but it I, I think it impacted him at the plate he didn't remember he got on that roll Right before the injury, yeah. he got the on-base percentage up around like 370. was really smoking everything hard. I think we saw one really good at-bat right before the season ended, but you could see it was impacting him a little bit, yeah. whether it was timing or just not feeling healthy. You know, it, it's the pitching staff's a little interesting just because, like, Josh Tomlin is either going to be your Game 4 starter or serve zero purpose. And they've, you know, they've said there's no guarantee he starts Game 4. It kind of depends on how the first three go. So... It's a little surprising to me because it would have been easier in my mind to say, okay, Salazar can be the game four starter or pitch out of the bullpen. You're probably not going to pitch Josh Tomlin out of the bullpen unless it's about 13 nothing and it's the eighth inning or something like that. Um, and because of that, the way they set this up, I- I'm surprised Otero and Goody didn't make it. Uh, to carry Salazar and Tomlin was a bit of a, a shock to me. But in the end, how many pitchers do you need? You have off days. You're going to rely on Miller and Allen and Sean Smith and Olsen every close game you get. So, eh, And then you got Clevenger hanging out there who can throw you two or three innings if need be. And because you have multiple multi-inning guys, that's why you can carry 11 pitchers. That's why you can uh, have all these position players and keep Michael Brantley on the roster. How would you handle left field starting? Regardless of if a lefty's on the mound, you're going with Jackson. I'm just talking right-handers on the mound. You can start Chisenhall or Jackson. Who are you putting in left field? Because before the injury, even when Jackson wasn't playing every day, and it was having a great year all year, basically, Chisenhall had staked his claim to being a really important part of the offense. Now, since coming back, you know he's still trying to get his timing back, too. Would it be such a stretch to say that Austin Jackson should play left field for most of these games, that regardless of righty or lefty, it hasn't mattered as far as splits go this year, and Jackson continues to have one of his best, if not the best, offensive season rate-wise that he's had in his entire career. Yeah, my guess would be Chisholm starts just because then you have the easy pinch hit answer um, if a lefty comes up, or yeah, if a lefty comes up. Um, but I, you're right. I mean, there's no... Chisholm Hall hasn't really done anything in September to demand that he he gets that playing time back. And and Jackson's been been battling health the whole time. And in the the meantime, Jackson just continues to. All right, we get it. You love Austin Jackson. Why shouldn't I when the guy continues to save their season? In some ways, he has. In In the way that Jose Ramirez saved their asses last year. I would say Austin Jackson has saved their ass on several occasions. All right, we get it. You're allowed to swear on this podcast. Jeez. Um, no, you're, is you're right. Is a swear? You can say ass on the actual terrestrial radio. He saved their behinds. You guys in your print, let go. Just let some let some of your colorfulness fly. Just wait till you read what Trevor Bauer <laughs> said. That's thank God I'm. That's being reported on the Athletic and not anywhere else. Um, 
it, it's they've got it, it's crazy how much depth they have. I mean, we're we're debating who should start it in left field. We're debating third base, center field, bench spots. I mean, look, I mean it's, for, it's crazy. You mentioned Otero, McAllister, Goody. Regardless of what you think of McAllister, yeah. his numbers this year are really good. Same for Goody and Otero. Those are three guys that Some on a lot of teams, a lot of teams would be their possibly their number one setup man to yeah. the guy that's closing games for them. They can't even get on the roster. I mean, the the depth they have in the pen, and you saw how when. We all knew Tyler Olson was going to make the team, but we were going through every position with Tito, just getting the verbal confirmation. They were asked; you know, he was asked about Olson. Is he is he making the roster? He said, "Oh yeah." Like like there was any yeah. like there was any hint of doubt about that. But that's a guy that wasn't even on, on the radar as late as what August, begin or middle of July, and this guy has come in and become an invaluable part of the bullpen. To to have a group like that. Is, is to back not only have them but also backing one of the best starting rotations in baseball is is truly incredible. Well, it speaks to why they are, as you've thought about writing, the hunted and not the hunter. I mean, last year they had to prove to themselves that they were worthy of, of that playoff validation just because, yeah, they won the division, they had a good regular season, they had that 14-game winning streak, um, and they, they put themselves in the conversation, but with the injuries, nobody picked them to make it out of the first round, let alone to have a 3-1 lead in the World Series. So, Based off of that, I know Frankie has said this this week, and I talked to Mike Clevenger today. He said this. Are they maintaining that same level of us against the world despite the fact that a lot of people are picking them to win I think, it all? I think every, every team does that in every sport. It's a tried That's why method. I circled back with Frankie and I said, by the way, where did you read that people were picking the Astros against the Dodgers? And he said, oh, everybody, everywhere. I just read through, I think Sports Illustrated sent out there, and every single person picked right. the Indians. But it seems like they're all, they're trying to, at least through us, publicly, dismiss that, that it's still us against the world. And that's something that even the Patriots use this every year yeah. with Bill Belichick Alabama. in there showing them, oh, no look one at everybody believes in, believes in you. Right, exactly. It seems like they're trying to embrace that and forget that they're 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 really the odds-on favorite right now in the American League in a lot of people's opinion. Yeah, I think in their minds, but going back to what I was saying, like last year it was about confirming in their minds that they were where they were supposed to be. And this year it's confirming in their minds that they are that this isn't all a fluke and that they're as legitimate as a 37-man roster trying to whittle that down to 25 would have you believe. I mean, there are uh, – I, I think I – you know, I forgot El Monte on my original roster because there are so many guys that they left off who would absolutely make other playoff teams. And so when you have that kind of depth, it's why you win 22 in a row. It's why you have the amazing September that you had because you can rest all your stars and still play good players and win games. And that's why a lot of people like them. Now, that doesn't guarantee you anything because you play poorly for three days and you're out. But I think that's why they're kind of... They don't want to believe their own hype yet because the, the minute you do that, yeah. it, it sneaks up on you and it's, it's too late. And that's how you lose. You ready to get this started, dude? Are you ready to get the playoffs underway? So last year, I mean, we've – what was your first year on the beat? Uh, I, my first full year on the beat, I think, was 2011. Okay, the same as me. So last year was new, obviously, to both of us. And 
I just know I had no idea what I was getting into and I know you know you don't sleep for like a month <laughs> and I remember waking up in my hotel room in Chicago the day of game five when the Indians were up 3-1 and like I, I like I was sound asleep and then like rose up like the undertaker <laughs> because it hit me in the middle of my sleep that holy shit the Indians could win the world Whoa! series and like I started having chest pains I thought I was having a heart attack because I was so unprepared. What do you do? No one in Cleveland has covered a World Series champion yeah. since 1948. No, that I agree with because I was even thinking of before the Cavs won the title. In other time, in other sports, you can because I, you and I have never covered a championship professional team before, so you know how to write game stories and right. stories after they win a game in July, and to some. Re- regard you have an understanding of how to cover the postseason you have no idea how to write the team that you cover just won it all to convey to everybody that's going to be reading it yeah what just happened like, and there's nothing to point back to in this situation for us to really look at and say this is how somebody else did it in a situation similar to this well you, i guess you could look at what the, the cubs the way that that was handled last year this is a 69 year drought nice a 69-year drought. Nice. How do you cover that? Right. How do you convey that so that when people read about it 10, 15, 20, 50 years from now can completely put themselves in the moment as if it happened yesterday? It's, you know, I think I asked Paul Hoynes last year if he had, like, a, a game story saved from 1985 that he was just, he had it on tap if the Indians ever won it all and he could just update it and publish it. Um it's the amazing thing about like so like you cover the NBA playoffs with the Cavs especially now like you know it's going to last at least six weeks and you know they're going to make the finals and it won't even get interesting until toward the end of that with baseball the Indian season could end on Sunday right <laughs> like or it could go until what November 1st and then maybe you have a parade after that and then they go on Saturday Night Live and they may or may not go to the White House and anyway so it's uh there's, you never know where the journey's going to take you. I think that's what makes it fun. And it also makes it, I mean, it's, it's crazy. It is just crazy. After Game 7 of the World Series, we were talking about this the other day, we left a little, like right around 6 a.m., we left the ballpark. And I remember going home, and my wife's alarm clock was going off because she was waking up. And I, my head hit the pillow and didn't wake up again till 3.30 in the afternoon. And it's <laughs> like, it kind of, that's when it sinks in, like, what a whirlwind covering the postseason is especially when i mean last year no one expected it because the indians were down to two and nine tenths pitchers yeah it was a blur that was that word is what clevenger used to describe all of this last year a blur and it it was a blur for everybody it's a blur for us too because i don't even think we were prepared for what we were about to to see witness and take place and in some regards for the fans too and i know it felt like that wild ride that then abruptly ended it moves so fast that's what's fun it, it, yeah, and I'm curious how this time around for everybody is going to feel, if it does feel different, because I think for the team, they look a little different. Like, the way that they're in the clubhouse, it seems like more more that this is like an everyday routine thing for them as opposed to last year. Remember when they brought all the players into the room to, to talk to the media? And it's a different scenario where they bring all the players to the tables and they all sit down and they're all available for that half-hour window or whatever it is to the media. A lot of guys had wide eyes. And you know, this is the first time they had ever gone through something like this. 
now they have that experience. Once the game starts and you get a couple innings in, I'm sure it does start to just feel like an average day. But all that other stuff that goes into it, how do you process that? How do you handle that? For them, they have that experience. And I'm interested to see if that, if it does play any factor at all for them. You know, Andy Bernard in the show The Office said, I wish there was a way to know that you were in the good old days while they were happening. And the thing that kind of stinks about it if you're a player or if you're a fan is that this moves so fast. And on the off days, you're traveling and you're working out. And so there aren't really off days. <laughs> and when it's all over, you either have extreme elation or more likely, because only one team gets that, you have extreme disappointment. So once it all hits you finally, like I remember Lindor saying he didn't leave his couch for a week right. after they lost game seven. It's because once you finally catch your breath and you finally have time to wrap your head around what just happened, you're either at one end of the spectrum or the other. So it's too bad that you can't like take a moment while it's happening to kind of process it all. I, over this past week, I don't know if you've seen, I've gone back through and watched highlights of last year's postseason, just leading up to this postseason to see how much how much I forgot, how much was important. Yeah. Because all I can remember key moments, but there were little things like Cody Allen getting into a jam in the eighth inning and striking a guy out with two guys on base, and then it goes to the ninth, and they won the game, but I had forgotten so many little things that happened along the way, and I just wanted to be able to process that, just to have that in the back of my mind if there was something similar you can kind of compare it to this postseason. But there was so much that I forgot because of how quickly it moved. And that's why it's, it is fun to go back and kind of relive those moments and put yourself back in those situations knowing what happens, but also you still kind of get tense watching it all unfold for those guys. And then you compare it to this year and you see how you feel. And it, it could be completely different. It could be a lot of the same emotions, but uh, I know it's going to be fun for at least some portion of this. I just don't know how long that fun is going to last. Yeah, I, do you want to go to New York or Minnesota? Well, selfishly, yeah. Minnesota is just much more low-key. Okay. And it's also cheaper. Yeah. So, we've got, Minnesota? We've got wealthy owners. Well, I just mean, you know, you got to be able to cover it up front until somebody pays you back later on. You get a juicy Lucy? That's true. Minnesota for you? Or New York? Minnesota's easier, but... We also uh, go there all the time. Yeah. And Yankee Stadium is cool. Target Field's whatever. I actually like Target Field. It's probably one of my favorite facilities in baseball. The new ones don't have enough character. It could be I worse. Like, I like Fenway. You I, could I, be going to the Mineral Museum uh, in Chicago. I just... If they advance, no Houston. I, I don't like... <laughs> I Breaking news. Zach Meisel of The Athletic hates the city of Houston. I, I It was not... Look, this has nothing to do with Hurricane Harvey. There's nothing like... I donated. You were a, a I donated. Hater, I donated hipster. to the hurricane relief. You fund, hated so Houston let me, long before anybody else. Let me preface what I'm about to say with that. Yeah, I don't like the city, and I love Fenway Park, and I love. Uh, there's a lot of places around Cambridge I really like to go to. So, let's go Minnesota, Boston, Chicago. I'm all about creating new memories. The Indians have done things in Yankee State, well, this different Yankee Stadium, but yeah. they've gone to New York, they've had playoff moments, they've had several, it seems like Indians and Red Sox match up every other postseason. When's the last time they matched up against the Twins in the postseason? Never. 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 So you want like Twins, Astros, Rockies? <laughs> there 
Yes. That would be awesome. Uh, Let me sign up for Colorado that. in November. Oh, there's plenty of time to talk about that. And by the time this, this airs next week, or the time we get to next week's podcast, we could be talking about all the stupid decisions the Indians made. Yeah. They could... The next podcast could be the season wrap. Oh, my God. Off-season preview. I'm not ready for Should that Should they either. re-sign Jay Bruce? We'll talk about that, Santana, Brantley, and a whole slew of other things. And do you fire Francona? <laughs> Until next week, be sure to hit the subscribe button on Apple Podcasts, Bumpers, SoundCloud, or one of the million ways Stitcher? you can find us. Stitcher is one. I don't know what Stitcher is, but it is a thing. Have you ever listened to a podcast on Stitcher? No. What's a podcast? It is this thing that we're wrapping up now. See you guys next week. Who knows what has happened, but until then, enjoy.